Thank you. That is, that is exactly how I told her I wanted to be welcomed. I, I did ask for smoke, and there's no smoke. So it fell a little short, but thank you, Brittany. That, I thought you did a great job with announcements tonight. That was really good. That was really good. Um, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for leading us in worship, Tim. Uh, that was really, that was awesome. Um, I did not know those songs, but I really liked them, so I'm going to check those out. That was good, which probably just tells you how out of touch I am with a lot of worship music, so I need to up my game. That was, that was good. Um, I just want to add my word of welcome to you guys. I'm glad that you're here, especially first time, if this is your first time, kind of come to something like this. A um, little bit of my story. I became a Christian right as I went to college. I went to a public university just like this, and uh, college ministry and my local church changed my life. Like everything that's great about my life right now was because I came to faith in Christ. I found a group of people in college that were trying to seriously follow Christ. And I found a local church that taught me about God's word. Changed my life. So if you're here and you've been like, come in here regularly, keep coming. If you're here and you're like, somebody just invited me, I don't know, they just told me it'd be fun. Keep coming because this is a life-changing kind of event. So I'm really glad that you guys are here. Um, I want to be talking tonight about going through a crisis of faith. You should have a handout. Does everybody have a handout? Yes. And are things going to be on the screen too? Okay, that's great. So um, follow along on the handout and the Bible verses. I'm going to set my coffee down and I'm going to adjust this music stand. Stick with me. That's as good as I'm going to get it. That works. That works. I wish I was, I wish it was a little close, but that's okay. So. You guys got your handout, and you should have a pen because there are places to fill in the blank. Whoever did this, brilliant, excellent job. Thank you so much. There will be no grading of this. This is, this is not for grades, it's not a quiz. I say that just because it's college and your semester just got started. Anybody already stressed out? Okay. So I teach, I teach intro to philosophy at a university in Southern California. And my students are already like totally stressed out. I'm like, you guys, we're like three weeks into the semester. Um, so hopefully tonight I'm gonna say some things that'll help you with your stress levels, all right? That's my goal. So title of the, ta title of the talk is um, You Can Make It Through a Crisis of Faith. And that's what I want you to know. So every talk should have a big idea. Here's my big idea. You can make it through a crisis of faith, all right? Um, let me talk a little bit about what I mean by a crisis of faith, all right? By a crisis of faith, I mean a time of spiritual anxiety. A crisis of faith, it's a crisis. It doesn't last forever. It's a temporary period. It might be a day, a week, a month, a year, but it's not forever. You don't live in crisis. You go through a crisis. So a crisis is a period of time where you struggle with believing things you previously believed. Does that make sense? So a crisis of faith is a time of doubt where you're not sure you believe what you used to believe or you question whether you know what you thought you knew. That's what I mean by a crisis of faith. That's what it is. And by the way, you don't have to be a Christian to have a crisis of faith. Like you could be here tonight and you're like, I'm an atheist. And you go on a camping trip and like you're laid out under the stars and you go, this is beautiful. I really feel like something bigger than myself is out there. You're having a crisis of faith. That's a crisis of faith for you. A crisis of faith for a Christian might be something like, you know, you, you've believed in God, you've trusted in Jesus, you read his word, and then you read something in the Bible that makes you mad. 
Because the Bible's going to make you mad at some point. You're going to read something you don't like, and if you would have written the Bible, you would not have written it that way. So a crisis of faith is a period of time, a set period of time, where you're not sure you believe what you previously believed. Doesn't mean you're abandoning what you believe. It just means that something has come up that makes you question. It's a time of questioning. Um, there's three types of crises of faith. You can jot these down. There's an intellectual crisis of faith. There's an emotional crisis of faith. And there's a circumstantial crisis of faith. Intellectual crisis of faith. You're in a class, the professor says something that if true would mean that your Christian faith isn't true. Not everything can be true. There is in logic something called the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot be true and not true at the same time in the same way. So if you're in a class and you hear something that challenges your faith and you don't know how to answer it, that might be the beginning of an intellectual crisis of faith. You following me? A question, an intellectual problem. What's the solution? I don't know. So your belief is like a paradigm and then something comes along that's outside your paradigm, that's like an anomaly. And you either figure out how it can fit or your paradigm has to change. That's an intellectual crisis of faith. Number two, emotional crisis of faith. This is a time of depression, a time of anxiety. You might not be able to explain it. You used to be happy and now you go through a season where you're sad and this season of sadness makes you think that maybe God's not for you like you were raised to think he was for you. Or maybe God's not even there. Maybe you feel abandoned. These are, these are emotions. So sometimes a crisis of faith is not intellectual. Sometimes you're going through a crisis of faith and somebody's like, what's the problem? You're like, I don't know. I'm just in a tunnel and there's no light at the end. That can be a crisis of faith. Number three, circumstantial crisis of faith. Think of the three big Ds, death, disease, divorce. Might not be you, might be somebody you know, might be a family member, might be a friend. You're going through life and somebody gets sick or you get sick or something that was stable falls apart. Your parents get divorced and you thought they had a great marriage and they sit you down and say, hey, this is ending. And you go, what in the world? You guys were these like Christians and you followed the Lord and now you're, you're quitting on each other. What's going on? So maybe somebody in your life, a student came up to me the other night after class and she said, hey, my, my grandma just died. And that girl might be going through a crisis of faith because this lady that she's always loved and respected is no longer with her. So it can be emotional, it can be intellectual, it can be circumstantial. All of these things are a crisis of faith. That's what it is. How does it feel to be going through a crisis of faith? You ever been sucker punched or you know what a sucker punch is? You ever have a little brother or a little sister or something that just at the wrong time, you just turn it just oh, right in the gut and the air comes out. You're like, ugh. That's how a crisis of faith feels. A crisis of faith feels like spiritual air is gone. It feels like the room is spinning spiritually. It feels like your compass is broken spiritually. It feels like nausea. It feels like being lost. It feels like being alone. It feels like being afraid. That's how a crisis of faith feels. How do you make it through? That's what I want to ask. So, number one, if you want to make it through a crisis of faith, let me lay out first. Faith is the refusal to panic. Get that in your brain tonight. Don't panic. Yeah, but I was in this class and the professor said something that if it's true, that means the Bible's not true. Hey, take a deep breath. Don't panic. Christians have been wrestling with the faith for 2,000 years. Somebody's addressed the issue. Do your homework. Seek out an answer. Don't give up. Don't panic. So Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor and he gave us this quote. Let me read this quote for us because I think this is rich. It's good stuff. Faith is a refusal to panic. Do you like that sort of definition of faith? Does that seem to be too earthly and not sufficiently spiritual? It is the very essence of faith. 
Think about that for a minute, guys. The very essence of faith is that you are not going to give up when other people do. It's pretty awesome. Going on. Faith is a refusal to panic. Come what may. It says, I am not going to be controlled by these circumstances. I am in control. Now, pause there for a minute. You know that God's in control, right? But sometimes in a crisis of faith, you're not taking responsible steps with the things God has put you in control of. God's in control of the universe, but he gave you an alarm clock and you get to set it a little early to get in the word if you want to be in the word. God gives you the ability to say to a group of people you know you should not be hanging out with, I'm not going to go out with you Friday night. That's within your control. Why? Because God put it within your control. So there's no contradiction between God being in control and God giving you control over certain aspects of your life. So take charge of yourself and pull yourself up and control yourself. You do not let yourself go. You assert yourself. It's interesting. In, in Titus chapter 2, Paul tells old men to teach younger men and older women to teach younger women, and he gives them a different list of things to teach each group. You guys know what I'm talking about? If not, look it up. It's really cool. And he tells the women, I think there's like six things, and the guys only get one thing. And the one thing he tells the guys overlaps with this, one of the six things he tells the girls. He says, teach the young to be self-controlled. If you can only focus on mastering one spiritual thing this year, Paul would say, let it be self-control. In a crisis of faith, not panicking means controlling yourself. It means on a Friday night when you're wrestling with your faith, probably not the time to make a Facebook post about how you're not sure any of this is true anymore. Right? You're controlling your words. You're controlling your actions. Why? Because God put that control within your grip. So don't panic. Faith is the refusal to panic. Listen, you might be going through something tonight that no one can sufficiently explain to you. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I have all the answers because you know that's not true and I certainly know it's not true. But what I do know is not having all the answers is different than not having any answers. Not having all the answers isn't the same thing as not having any answers. Christianity has answers. But you've got to calm down, not panic, take a breath, investigate it if it's an intellectual crisis of faith, work through it if it's an emotional crisis of faith, get through it if it's a circumstantial crisis of faith. You're going to make it through if you refuse to panic. You guys tracking? That's number one. Number two, you need to know that faith and doubt coexist. Faith and doubt coexist. All right, do you guys know the difference between a flip switch and a dimmer switch? Okay, like I have an older house and you walk into the room and you flip the switch and the lights are on and then you flip it off and the lights are off. But all the new buildings in California have to have what's called a dimmer switch. You guys know what a dimmer switch is? The light's not on or off, it's bright or dim. When it comes to saving faith, you are either saved or you're not. But once you're saved, your faith is like a dimmer switch. It's sometimes bright, sometimes dim. Sometimes it's strong, sometimes it's weak. Don't make the mistake of thinking that weak faith, dim faith, is no faith. You see, some people are raised in churches where you know that you know that you know that you know. And if you ever have questions, just keep that quiet because we don't ask questions around here. And that's not Christianity. 
The Bible is filled with people who ask questions, are honest about their doubts. You're going to see that tonight. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is winning over doubt. Faith is asserting belief over doubt. So there's a story in the Bible in Mark chapter 9 where a guy's son is demon-possessed. Now I want you to imagine this for a moment. A little boy has a demon and the demon in the passage is throwing the boy into a fire. The demon wants to kill the boy. And the father loves the son. So the father goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, help my son. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. And the man says something, which I want you to hear as a prayer. The man says, I believe, help my unbelief. So what does that mean? That means that belief and unbelief exist side by side in the life of a believer. This means every day of your life, you are managing faith and doubt side by side. Now that does not mean that doubt is good. Jesus says, believe and don't doubt. James says, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. You don't wanna be a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. But until you die and are made perfect with Christ, you will always struggle with unbelief. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's winning over doubt. It's managing doubt. It's addressing doubt. It's working through doubt. So when you are struggling with a crisis of faith, let me encourage you to pray that prayer. Matter of fact, you could pray that prayer every single day of your life. You could wake up every day and the first prayer you pray could be this. I believe, help my unbelief. Because every day as a Christian, your, your faith is on. The light is on. Sometimes it's bright. Sometimes it's dim. So, Faith and doubt coexist. Number two, doubt is normal. It's not good, but it's normal. It's normal. So here's what I discovered a while back. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is a chapter in the New Testament, there's something called, people call the, the, the hall of faith. You guys know what I'm talking about? The Bible mentions all these men and women who had great faith. Abraham, David, Elijah, um, Rahab, people like that. But if you study the stories of those individuals, listen to me, every one of the heroes of faith went through a crisis of faith. Every one of the heroes of faith went through a crisis of faith. So what does that tell us about doubt? Doubt is normal. It's not good, but it's normal. You might be here tonight thinking, I'm the only one that has this intellectual doubt. No, you're not. I'm the only one that isn't sure if I'm even saved. No, you're not. You're not the only one. You might, if you read biographies of people like Martin Luther or John Calvin, all of the great Christian men and women in the history of Christianity went through intense times of doubt. How do you make it through? Number one, don't panic. Number two, you gotta know that faith and doubt coexist. Number two, you've gotta, number two, you've gotta know that fa doubt is normal. In Matthew 28, it's the story of the Great Commission. You guys know what the Great Commission is? Right. So what's happening? Jesus is risen from the dead. The disciples have been with him. And Jesus calls the disciples onto a mountain. And now he's going to go up into heaven. And that's what's happening, right? And he gives them this command. He says, go into all the world, right? But notice what it says in the verses that I list under number two. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Now stop there for a minute. Who were they with? 
Who are they with? They're with Jesus. How many disciples are there? 11. Why aren't there 12? Who's gone? Judas. So there's 11 disciples, and it says some of them are doubting. Now, what does some mean? It means more than one. So there's 11 disciples with Jesus who has risen from the dead, and even in the presence of the resurrected Savior, even seeing him and touching him, more than one with Jesus was doubting. Are you surprised that you will struggle with doubt? If the disciples struggled with doubt standing with Jesus, why are you surprised that you struggle with doubt on a, on a campus where every day you're surrounded by people who make fun of what you believe and undermine what you believe? I'm not saying doubt is good. I'm saying doubt is normal. And that helps you not to panic. Because if you think something's happening to you that the world is falling apart, it's not. Calm down. Don't panic. It's normal. Faith and doubt coexist. Number three, God is merciful to those who doubt. God is merciful to those who doubt. Jude 1.22. Now here's an interesting little side note about Jude. Jude was a brother of Jesus. Jesus had brothers. Jesus' mother conceived him as a virgin. That's the miracle of the virgin birth. But she got married to Joseph and went on and had children. And Jesus had brothers. And Jude was one of Jesus' brothers. But here's an interesting fact about Jesus' brothers. They didn't believe in Jesus until after he rose from the dead. And then they believed in Jesus. So Jude knows doubt. He doubted even though Jesus was doing all these miracles. He just did not believe until after Jesus rose from the dead. And, but then Jude goes on to write a book, and in the book he says, be merciful to those who doubt. Now who's he writing to? The church. And who's he writing about? Christians. Now what does that mean? That means you as a Christian will go through seasons of doubt. And how are we to treat each other when we doubt? We are to be merciful to each other. We're not to make fun of each other. We're not to dismiss each other. We're not to hide our doubt. We're not to act like doubt doesn't exist. Christianity is not faking it till you make it. Christianity is being honest and saying, here's what I'm struggling with. It's intellectual, it's emotional, it's circumstantial. I'm doubting and God's people come around you and they help you work through it so that you make it through and don't panic. So what does God do to, to people that have doubts? He doesn't kick them out of the family. Look, if you're here tonight and you're going through a crisis of faith, it's not like God doesn't know. God knows. The question is, are you going to him and saying, God, here's what's going on in my heart? And are you going to other Christians and saying, hey, I know you guys struggle with this too. Here's what's going on in my life. And when that happens, how do you treat each other? The Bible says be merciful to each other when you go through times of doubt. Number four, if you're going to make it through a crisis of faith, you have got to go to Jesus. You've got to go to Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Your impulse in a crisis of faith is to go away from Jesus. You're like, I'm not sure I believe this, so I'm going to stop reading the Bible. Don't do that. I'm not sure I believe this anymore. I'm going to stop going to church. Don't do that. You would never say, man, I'm sick. I'm not going to go to the doctor until I get over the sickness. Wrong. What do you do when you're sick? That's when you go to the doctor. When you're going through a crisis of faith, even if you were to say to me, I don't even know if I believe the Bible, here's my advice. Go read the Bible. I don't even know if I believe in God. 
What do you normally do on Sunday? I normally go to church. Keep going to church. In your crisis of faith, go to Jesus. Now, I, I, I get this from the story in Matthew 11 where John the Baptist, look in this passage here, it's this Bible passage on your handout. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now stop there for a minute. Let me explain this to you. Do you know who John is in this passage? If you know who it is, just say it. It's John the Baptist. Does John the Baptist believe in Jesus? Yes. Does John the Baptist know that Jesus is God in the flesh? Yes. Who was it that announced, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Who was that? John the Baptist. Who got to baptize Jesus? John the Baptist. Who was there when God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son? John the Baptist. But now John the Baptist isn't on the Jordan River. John the Baptist is in prison. And while he's in prison, he's hearing all these stories about Jesus and how Jesus is healing the blind and Jesus is setting people free and Jesus is raising the dead. And John is probably thinking to himself, if you're who I said you are, then follow me here. Why am I in prison? See, this is what happens in a crisis of faith. In a crisis of faith, especially in regards to circumstances, you doubt what you previously believed because you don't like where God has you. I don't like being in this hospital room, God. Are you God? Are you even real? I don't like being in this relationship, God. I don't like the family I'm dealing with, God. I don't like the dorm I'm in. I don't like my, whatever it is you're in that you don't want to be in, that God has led you in. You can find yourself doing what John does and saying, God, are you even, are you even real? So he sends a question to Jesus. Are you the Messiah or should we expect another? Which read between the lines. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, are you the one who's going to save me or should I be looking for some other savior? And this is what you do in a crisis of faith. In a crisis of faith, you think, Jesus, I don't know if you're the savior I'm looking for. Maybe these people can save me. Maybe this other belief can save me. Maybe this thing can save me. Maybe if I can just achieve this, then I'll be saved. You start to look for another savior. Well, how does Jesus respond to John? Does Jesus send back word to John? John, I'm busy, man. Don't bother me with this. No, because what is God to doubters? He is merciful. So look at Jesus's response. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's kind of a wordy answer, don't you think? I mean, if you sent a question, think with me here. If you sent a question to Jesus, are you the Messiah, what kind of response would you want? A one-word answer, yes, okay, cool, thank you. Jesus is saying yes, but he's saying it in a brilliant way. You, you don't realize this, but Jesus is quoting an Old Testament passage. And it's an Old Testament passage out of Isaiah, where Isaiah says, strengthen the person who has shaky hands and wobbly knees. Because in a crisis of faith, that's what you've got, shaky hands, and wobbly knees. And then Jesus quotes all these things that Isaiah prophesied the Messiah would do to prove that he was the Messiah. And guess what Jesus is doing? 
all of these things. So how does Jesus answer John? With scripture. What's your best friend in a crisis of faith? Scripture. Where do you need to go when you doubt? Scripture. How do you hear from Jesus when he's not here to talk to you? Scripture. So what's my advice to you? I don't even know if I believe the Bible. Cool, open it and read it. Yeah, but I don't believe it. Then it won't make any difference in your life. Just go read it. (laughs) I don't even know if I believe in God. Go to church. Why would I do that? Because if you put yourself in the places where God meets with people, don't be surprised if he meets with you. If if you're really interested, read his word. Be with his people. If it's all fake, nothing's going to happen. See what happens. Number five. Preach to yourself. Listen, preach to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. If you listen to yourself, you're hearing what's inside. And I've got news for you. I'm sorry to break it to you. What's inside is not the truth. You lie to yourself more than anybody else ever will. What's in here is not some platonic light that is just pure and innocent and life. What's in here is part of the problem. I've said this before, but the famous writer G.K. Chesterton was once asked, what's wrong with the world? And his response was, I am. You see, all of us love to point out what's wrong with the world out there, but the reality is all of us are part, we're contributing part of the rebellion against God. So in a crisis of faith, you often find yourself listening to your doubts, your questions, more than you listen to God's word. And the, the, the reality is, is that in a crisis of faith, you have to start speaking the truth to yourself. If you love your roommate, don't you want to tell them the truth lovingly? Well, if you care about yourself, you should preach the truth to yourself. When you find yourself lying to yourself, counter those lies with the truth. If you listen to yourself, you're not going to make it through a crisis of faith. If you preach to yourself... You're going to make it. You know what I mean? Be preached to yourself. Take God's word and apply it to your life. Let God's word veto what you want to do when what you want to do goes against God's word or what you want to think or what you want to say goes against God's word. So here's the Bible verse, Psalm 13. Now listen to these words. This is David, King David, man after God's own heart, having a crisis of faith. In this Psalm, he works through a crisis of faith. Notice how he does it. Follow along with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my energy, lest my energy, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Did you notice what happened? David starts out the psalm with a bunch of questions and he doesn't get answers. Listen, I got news for you. Something might have happened in your life and you're like, God, why did this happen? And in this life, you might never know. 
But at some point, if you will listen to God's word and if you will apply it to your life, sometimes those questions never get answered. They just stop controlling the way you think. And David tells himself what to do. Notice what he says. He says, I have trusted in your love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So what is David doing? David's saying, you know what? While I don't have answers, I'm going to tell myself what to do. He's not listening to himself. He's preaching to himself. He's not being controlled by his passions. He's exhibiting self-control. Listen, guys, you're going to go through a crisis of faith. Life is going to let you down. God's going to make you bad, mad. Life is going to take a turn you didn't see coming, and it's going to break your heart. And you're not always going to have answers. Should you seek out answers? Yes. In the meantime, what do you do? Don't panic. Trust God. Preach to yourself. Does it ever stop? Will you ever stop struggling with doubt? That's a question you need to ask yourself. The answer is yes. When does that happen? One day you're going to pass from this life to the next. And the, the day you die, which I hope is a long time from now, you're going to close your eyes. And then you're going to open your eyes and Jesus is going to be standing in front of you. I promise you this. You will see Jesus one day. And on that day when you see him, if you have trusted in him, if you have battled your unbelief, if you refuse to give up, if you refuse to panic, if you preach to yourself, on that day, your doubts will cease. On that day, you will no longer struggle with unbelief. And on that day, the light gets cranked up bright and it will never go dim again. So listen, doubt's not good, but it is normal. Don't panic. Listen to God. Keep trusting him. Stick with his people. Keep coming to things like this. And you're going to make it through. In the end, if you have faith, here's the point. Faith wins. That's how God works. I'm going to pray for you, and then I've got an announcement. So let's pray. Father, I pray for these students. I pray that you would encourage their faith tonight. I pray that they would trust your word. I pray that they would not despair. Whatever they're going through right now, I pray that you would give them confidence to keep trusting you. If there's anyone here that's never put their faith in Jesus, no reason they shouldn't do it right now. They can decide right now, this world has left me empty. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I'm with him. I'm trusting him. I'm following him. God, I pray that no one would leave here tonight without having a personal relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray that through the things I've said, according to your word, that you'd turn up the light of faith in their life a little brighter tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.